Well, thanks for that, Paul. I hope I just tell everybody to keep that on Jesus. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll soon pick up that that's the theme of everything that tumbles out of this place. This church is about raising a generation of people who love Jesus more than anything else, who are captivated by him and his mission in the world. So it's, it's great for me to be part of the journey with you and to be able to encourage you as we go forward in this season. It seems like ages since I saw you, because uh, I was reminded just before the service that apparently it's nearly five years ago since I was here, so I knew it was pre-COVID, uh, <clears throat> but a lot of churches I visit have changed beyond recognition through COVID. Sadly, some who stopped attending never came back. Uh, the good news is, every single church that I go to these days are complaining about growing, it's like, you wouldn't believe it. God's been so good. We're growing. New people are coming. And I believe that's in part because COVID did sort us out in terms of what we really believe we want to be doing. And the people that came back really wanted to be back, wanted to be together, want to be part of what we're really building. So I'm encouraged to come and see you guys again and to be part of the journey. So thanks for having me. I do believe I've got something really important to share with you. Uh, and we're going to read a scripture together just to set the scene from Second Peter. It'll appear on the screen. And um, let's read it and then go from there. 2 Peter 1, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful words. You know, I believe we live in a short game world. The older I get, the more it seems that everybody wants stuff quick and instant. <laughs> and my kids, I've got four, I've got ten grandkids now, and you, you kind of, they all want it now. They don't appreciate the journey to getting things. They're used to, they live in an instant world. Everybody wants to win the lottery because then I can get stuff instantly and fulfill all my dreams now. Ah, Lord. The world, if we're not careful, can squeeze us into its mold as God's people. So we want everything that God promises now. We want revival now. We want that healing now, Lord. What you're playing at now, please. Um, we, we want the breakthrough now. It's, now, there's, that's a noble ambition. But we've got to recognize that all the best things in life take time. They take time to be honest with you. Um, I think all the things that really matter, that truly fulfill us, take time to identify, 
to yield their fruit and to sort of get the maximum benefit from. Just as a principle, I want to suggest your life is best lived as a long game than a short game. I mean, where are all the marrieds in the room? If you're married, just admit it. Well done. <coughs> Marriage is a long game. Well, let's put it this way. Building a great marriage is a long game. <laughs> but you want it to be brilliant from the word go. Yeah, and in the second year, you want it to be brilliant. And in the third year, brilliant. But the truth is, if you talk to us old time, as I'm 40 odd years married now, marriages go up and down. You go through seasons of life together. Life changes. Life throws things at you that you didn't see coming. Life sometimes stinks. But God is consistently good. And you love the person you're married to. And you work it through together. And you go from strength to strength. And you build something of beauty. It's a long game. My best friends these days are some of the longest friendships I've had in my life. And I reflected on it. Is that a coincidence, do you think? I don't think it is. Because those friends have been with me through thick and thin, through the ups and downs. And even though maybe we have moved geographically, some of us, the moment we're on FaceTime, the moment I get a message, the moment I'm on the phone, it's like, Choom. true friendship. Stay with you. Stick with you. My best friend is a guy called Chris, and we met as teenagers. He was my best man at the wedding, and you know I was his best man. It was that sort of a friendship. <clears throat> our wives were bridesmaids for each other, and uh, we've been on holiday together with our kids. We've done the stuff. All these years on now, I was his pastor. I was his boss, for goodness sake, for one period. It was, we've seen some stuff. But who's the first person I'm going to ring? message if I'm just a bit stuck, if I just feel, ah, I need to, you know, offload to someone, if I just need to know someone's going to be positive, somebody who'll just sit with me, don't need language sometimes, you just need presence, and he's, he's been such a good friend to me through tragedy, through trauma, through all sorts of ups and downs, the long game of friendship. The fickle friends, they come and go. But the deep ones are long career ones. I could go on. You know, a great marriage is a long game. I think great friendships are a long game. I think a great career you know, or a great ministry, it takes time to become an expert in anything. I think building a great church is a long game. Churches go through ups and downs. People come, people go. But there is a core of people who have a heart for the long game and stick in a community and see it reached for Jesus. And that's the true success. That's the fulfillment. And if I can get right to the heart of what I really want you to catch this morning. Living the Christian life, following Jesus, is a long game. Not a short game. Now... All those things I've quickly mentioned, like marriage, friendships, career, building church, following Jesus, they all start with a very significant moment. And then they lead to a lifelong process. And the significant moment is always fun. Oh, it's good. 
Do you remember the wedding day? I'm sure you remember it because it cost you such a lot of money. <clears throat> but the wedding's awesome. All the planning, all the stuff that goes into it. And it's, ah. But then the marriage comes. And that's the long game. <laughs> There's a significant moment followed by a process. When you meet a new friend, it's, ooh, I've got a new friend. Oh, the man you bestie, it's awesome. Ah, we get on so well together. We have so much things in common. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely. It feels good to have a new friend, new relationships. You join a new church. Oh, this church is awesome. This church is the best church on the planet. And we, it's just like, ah, oh, so wonderful is this church. Oh, you get a new job. Oh, this job. Oh, thank you, God, for this job. The front end is always fun and exciting and vibrant. And then life unfolds. And that honeymoon period tends to get tested by, by the new people that you've got your relationship with or by the circumstance. You know, when you, could, when you were saved, the moment you were born again, that was a significant moment that felt good. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I've got a brand new start. You dare to believe that God has got a plan for your life and you get involved in the community of faith in the local church and it's, ah, let me tell you, the long game of following Jesus, the long game of building church together has so much more depth and goodness and beauty and fruit in it for you than the, I was going to say froth and bubble of the new thing. It's not froth and bubble, but the excitement of the new thing. Yes, it's good and we must never lose that. But going forward together, navigating life is where the true lasting joy and significance is. But it always gets tested always gets tested there isn't a marriage here that hasn't been tested there isn't a commitment to Jesus that hasn't been tested there isn't a commitment to a job or a friendship that hasn't been tested and it's the testing that somehow deepens our resolve to press through and I think this this scripture that we read together encapsulates this principle I want you to see which is that significant moment at the front end actually had within it all the seeds of the long-term success. It's just that we have to be committed to working them out over the long game. Because where we read, he said, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need. It's all in that salvation moment. It's all in Christ. The seeds of everything are there. But those seeds have to be watered have to bear fruit and yield the benefit and how does that happen well he says for this reason make every effort oh effort yeah make every effort to add to your faith that newfound exciting faith all these other qualities and the kicker is verse 8 because he says if you possess these qualities in increasing measure so if you're making the effort, if you're adding to your initial faith these wonderful, beautiful qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? So I can know Jesus. Yeah. You can know him. You can be saved, soundly born again, and still live an ineffective and unproductive life. That's the kicker. That's like that, ooh, 
can I not just linger in the salvation moment, please? No, you can't, because you're a real person in a real world, on a real process. And once you've come to Jesus, the commitment that says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm going to be faithful to you. It does get tested, but it's enriched as you make every effort to add to your faith these wonderful qualities. The Christian life is a long game. It's a long ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. And we tend to call that process in church world discipleship. You've all heard the term discipleship. And we use it to mean various things depending on the church context you're in. But what we're really after is that all of you will understand that you are first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. So the discipleship process is the process of following him. Now when we talk about discipleship, immediately our minds go back to Jesus and the 12 disciples that he had around him and that sort of model. Because we, we kind of look to them to inform our understanding of what being a disciple really means. And in its historical context, Jesus and his disciples were more like a master and apprentices. It was an apprenticing process the disciples wanted to be with the master. They wanted to be like the master, the rabbi, the teacher. And so they did life together. They left their former life and started to follow him. They, they, you know, you read the story. Peter pulled his boat up on the beach, left it, and started following Jesus. They all had the same story. They served the master, putting his interests first. They were sent on assignments by him. They made mistakes and were corrected by him. But they were shaped to do life simply by being with the master and following the master. That's what discipleship is fundamentally all about. It's an active pursuit of Jesus. My favorite definition of discipleship is that it is transformation by following. Transformation by following. Yes, you get transformed in seed form in your salvation moment, but the physical actual change, the transformation of your life comes as you follow. As there's movement taking place, actively doing life with Jesus. And I think that's what our scripture is pretty much saying. It's saying, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. Now come on, let's make some effort and add to that faith some perseverance, hmm, some self-control, some godliness. And all those positive things. Great qualities. You know, just so we're clear, when I use the language of discipleship or being a disciple, because I think that is what we are first. I don't know what you call yourself. When people say, what are you? Well, I'm a person of faith. Okay. Which faith? Okay. Or uh, you might go as far as saying I'm a Christian. But actually what the scripture would teach us is we should be saying, I'm a disciple. That is the term that was used right through the Gospels and Acts to describe those who put their trust in Jesus. They become his disciples, followers. So my definition of discipleship, just so we're all on the same page today, is simply that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and does what Jesus does. It's follow, change, do. And not just on a Sunday. 
Because some of you feel, oh, I'm being a really good disciple today. I've come to church. <laughs> no, 24-7, follow Jesus. That process of following changes me, so I'm being transformed by him. And I end up doing what he would have me do because I'm his disciple. I want to be like my master. So my question for you is, will you commit to the long game of following Jesus, of being a disciple? Will you commit to it? Will you commit to it? Now, you don't have a choice because you come here to listen to me this morning, so I'm going to assume you've all committed to it. <clears throat> and I'm going to share with you six quick practical things that will help you as a serious follower of Jesus make the long game fruitfulness that God has for you. Six practical things every serious disciple does. Firstly, they commit to being with Jesus. It's a nonsense to say you're a disciple of someone and then never be with them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're committing, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. You know those 12 back in the Bible stories pretty much lived with Jesus. Pretty much lived with him. And in fact, in Mark chapter 3, where he explains one of the scriptures where Jesus calls the 12, he says that he calls them first to be with him and then sent them out to preach and so on. Initially, Jesus just wants you with him. Because you're with him. Now, those of you with a theological brain are going, yes, well, of course, God is ever present, so I'm always with him. What I'm talking about here is not your theological brain. I'm about your, your brain engaging consciously, knowingly putting yourself in the presence of Jesus. So when you roll out of bed on a morning, the first person I say good morning to is Jesus. And it's kind of acknowledging I'm with him. I'm putting myself in his company consciously. Because Jesus has called us to be with him first. You know, he's here right now. He came in the car with me. In fact, he was there last night while I was sleeping. But I've got to remind myself, I have to consciously place myself in the presence of Jesus. Deliberately tune in. Because life is so loud there's so many distractions. There's so many other things for our attention. We have to tune in, tune in, tune in. Thank you, Jesus, you're with me. You never leave me or forsake me. You're just living in a conscious awareness. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. He's with me by the Spirit of Christ who dwells within me. He's with me in his word as I read it. He's with me when I come and meet other believers because we're the body of Christ. Coming here this morning is you putting yourself in the presence of Jesus in the body of Christ. When you open your Bible, when you pray, when you do those devotional things, you're putting yourself consciously in the presence of Jesus. And when you're sat on the bus, just thinking and chatting and musing away to yourself, praying quietly in your heart, you're putting yourself in the presence of Jesus. Jesus chose his disciples first to be with him. <clears throat> and as his disciple, I have to keep myself there. But I'm not just with him. A serious disciple also watches him. Watches Jesus. They had to actively keep an eye on Jesus because he kept disappearing. 
<laughs> you read the stories. It's like they get up one morning and say, where's he gone now? <laughs> they're, they're to watch Jesus. They're to keep their eye on him, observe him. And we have to do the same as modern disciples of Christ. We have to watch what Jesus is doing. Observe him. Observe how he treats people. How he speaks to them. How he deals with opposition that comes his way. Observe what makes him happy and what makes him sad. And you're thinking, well, hang on a minute. Jesus is this spiritual these days. How do I observe Jesus these days? Well, you've observed it by reading the Bible. So I hope you're all going to come to those Go Deeper sessions. Getting into the Word is so, so important. You watch what Jesus does by reading the Scripture. But this is the body of Christ, the church. So you watch what Jesus is doing by watching what he's doing in each other's life. Isn't it fabulous when you can say to someone, wow, you've changed. I remember when you first came to Christ and came to the church, wow, you were an absolute idiot. <laughs> you know, you were grumpy, your attitude stank, and you sat there with your arms folded. And now look at you with your arms raised at the front, just loving Jesus and sharing your faith. Yeah. What you're doing is you're observing what Jesus is doing in people. And I hope when you look in the mirror, you go, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. Because you, you acknowledge what he's doing in you. You observe what Jesus is doing. You're seeing his heart expressed. A true follower of Jesus watches and learns to understand what Jesus in action looks like. And Jesus in action changes the world. Changes community. It changes people's lives one at a time. So what are you seeing Jesus doing? In you, in your friends, in the church, and so on. But of course, as a disciple, I'm not just with him and watching him. No, I'm also talking to Jesus. I'm talking to him. I don't know about you. I tell Jesus everything. Whether he wants to hear it or not. <laughs> I tell him everything. Now I know theologically, he knows it all anyway, Steve. But I don't tell him for his sake. I tell him for my sake. It does me good to tell Jesus stuff. It does me good to hear myself saying, Jesus, this stinks. But I still love you, and you're still for me, but I don't like this situation right now. Or I need to hear myself say, Jesus, thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for what you've blessed us with. I need to hear myself saying it. Even though he knows it, it does me good. So sometimes I complain, but sometimes it's rejoicing and thanksgiving. And I express my frustrations. I express my questions because... The truth is this, if you start following Jesus and put yourself in his company and you start watching what he does, you're going to have lots of questions. Because you're going to go, hang on Lord, what on earth are you doing here? And why are you doing it that way? And why not this and why not that? Question, question, question. And we have a, a joke in our house that the only people that truly know what I think are Jesus and the dog. Because <laughs> I do most of my praying and most of my devotional time walking the dog every day. So it's like my space. 
So a good hour every day, walk three or four miles with the dog through the woods, through the fields, love it. It's my time. And the dog hears it all. <laughs> the dog knows stuff that even the dear wife doesn't know. You know, it's like... <laughs> Talk to Jesus. What am I articulating? I'm just describing prayer. Prayer is simply you talking with God, talking with Jesus. And the scripture in Thessalonians says we should pray without ceasing. Have the communication channel open all the time, 24-7. Praying, praying. doesn't have to be a big formal prayer thing all the time. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes you're interceding. Sometimes you're in a specific prayer focus. But most of time, we pray on the hoof. We're praying as we go. We're just involving Jesus in our daily life. Prayer is that conversation. I'm with him, watching him, talking to him. But of course, a good disciple also listens to him. Because this dialogue is a dialogue. It's not a one-way street, just me, you know, uh, going off to Jesus all the time. No, I've got to listen to him. A disciple has a real relationship with Jesus. It's two-way. He doesn't just want me with him. He wants to have a conversation with me. It's actually hard to follow someone if you're not listening to them. It's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? It's therefore really important that you know how Jesus speaks to you. One of the best first things we teach new Christians is, please work out how God speaks to you. Because it's a personal relationship with God you have. So how does Jesus speak to you? And so they ask you, oh, well, you're this long-term Christian. How does speak to, you know, Jesus speak to you, Steve? Oh, it's difficult to explain. Uh, and you will say things like, um, well, God speaks to me kind of in my spirit. Because you see, the spirit of Christ is within us. In your spirit, right, okay. It's kind of like a, it's like a nudge or a prompt. I sort of feel it. Oh, um, right. Um, sometimes it's a thought. A thought will come into my mind and I just know that's a God thought. I can separate it out from all the other junk in my head. I know that's God speaking to me. Oh, but, but, but how do you know that's a God thought and not a, you know, one of your own thoughts? Well, I learned by testing it over time. Because some stuff, and, and I learned to, I know when some things I feel or a thought that comes into my head, I know by a process of testing over time that that's God. And I need to do it now. Be obedient now. And other stuff, I know it's the pizza I ate last night or just my grumpiness that's got in the way. And filter it out. God speaks to us by his spirit into our heart. But God also speaks to us through the Bible. Another reason why you've got to get to the go deeper thing. He speaks to us through the Bible. And as I'm reading the Bible, just a line, just a word, sometimes a verse, I'll just come off the page and it's as if the Holy Spirit says, Steve, this is for you right now. Take note of this today. And sometimes I know why it is, sometimes I don't. You took it away. It's always purposeful. Because the Bible is the word of life. It's God speaking to you. And you know, God also speaks to me through you lot. Through the body of Christ. Through one another. Through other mature believers. Who will come and encourage me and keep me on track. Sometimes they'll bring me a word that they believe God has given them for me. Wow, that's precious. 
But that word will always be in line with what the scripture's saying and what I'm feeling in my spirit. And there's this wonderful safety in following Jesus and knowing he speaks. Please create space to listen. I don't, I'm not talking all the time when I'm out with the dog. A lot of the time when I'm out with the dog, I'm quiet. I'm just listening. Just listening. It's a two-way thing. A good disciple listens. I wonder if we got the mic and passed it around and said, let's all say what the last thing was that Jesus said to us. What was the last thing Jesus said to you? Some of you would go, because you're expecting it to be something massive and earth-shattering. I think the last thing Jesus said to me, if I'm honest with you, was just before I got out of my seat to come up here, and I just had a quick emoji. <laughs> I got a thumbs up in my spirit, just got Jesus saying, you've got this, this is good. Because yeah. I kind of been listening to the service, feeling what Jesus is doing here, and I just think it's like Jesus says, okay, I've got this. That's Jesus speaking to me. He's up to date, you know, you get emojis off Jesus. <laughs> I'm with him, watching him, talking to him, listening to him. But as a true follower, I'm also moving when Jesus moves. See, the follower language has movement implicit within it. It's nuts to say I'm a disciple, which means follower of someone, and never to go anywhere. <laughs> it's just bonkers. But of course, you can do these days. Because modern following on social media and all that means you can follow the world and never get off your backside once. <laughs> it's kind of how it is. It's crazy. So I'm not talking about social media following. I'm talking about changing your life, directing your life, taking positive actions, steps of following Jesus. Devote yourself to that journey because the transformation happens as I commit to movement. I wonder what the last move was you made to ensure that you kept pace with Jesus. So I think those early disciples, when Jesus called them, were called to action. Jesus walks along the beach and sees Matthew in his little tax collector booth and says, hey, follow me. Sees Peter and John, the fishermen guys. Hey, follow me. I don't think it went like this. It's kind of, uh, hi guys, would you like to follow me? I'll just give you a few minutes to think about it. Or maybe you'd like a week. You know, answers on a postcard maybe. It wasn't like that. It was, he was walking along, engaged him in a conversation. said, hey, come on, follow me. And he keeps moving. All the impetus, the effort is on the individual to say, Jesus, I'm coming after you. Whoa, what an invitation. I cannot turn this down. I'm going to follow you. So from that moment on, their life as disciples is characterized by moving when Jesus moves. And as they kept their eye on him, he would rest and they'd rest with him. He'd go to pray and they'd go pray with him. They'd visit towns to preach the gospel and heal the sick and they'd get involved with him. Because it's a, it's a life of movement. Discipleship is dynamic. It has movement in it. Now, physical movement is easy to illustrate, but very often 
the movement you have to make as a disciple following Jesus is attitudinal. I've just got to move an attitude. God's speaking to me about that. I've just got to move a perspective because actually I wasn't seeing it correctly. Aha, now I see what's going on. I see what God's doing. Sometimes it is physical, geographic. Sometimes it's, I need to move from serving in this area in church to this area in church because I feel that season's done and there's a fresh new one opening up here. And you make little adjustments. Sometimes it's relational. You just know this new relationship seems to be where Jesus is leading me. That means I haven't got as much time for those anymore. So I need to balance this out. And you move and you change because you're in this dynamic following process with Jesus. Maybe most importantly then, I come to this. A serious disciple isn't just with Jesus watching him, talking, listening, and moving in his steps. But most importantly, they're obeying what Jesus teaches. They're obeying what Jesus teaches. And obedience is a choice, isn't it? It's a choice. But I would suggest to you, obedience is right at the heart of what discipleship is all about. It's not about head and knowledge. It's not about just going on an occasional mission trip or every now and again doing something positive for the church or for Jesus, obedience characterizes the life of a disciple. So the heart of being his disciple. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. But anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Suddenly it seems really simple. At the heart of discipleship is mutual love. Those 12 disciples that you read about in the New Testament, they loved Jesus. It wasn't just this, ooh, this celebrity we're following. No, they loved him. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to learn from him. And the truth is, you and I are following Jesus because of mutual love. He loved you and gave himself for you. He gave you the prospect of new life and a hope and a future. And once you were willing to accept that love and receive it, you went, wow, it's true. God loves me so much. Thank you, Lord. And you begin to love him back. And in this deepening love relationship you have, obedience finds its proper context. You don't obey Jesus because there's a set of rules to be kept. You don't obey Jesus because you might get hit with a big stick if you don't. No, you obey Jesus because you love him. Because he loves you. And in this wonderful love relationship, obedience becomes sweet and desirable and easy. And it actually leads to a blessed life. You know, that's the heart of discipleship. I think it's the heart of the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So the, 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 the true evidence, you might say, 
that someone is genuinely a disciple of Christ is that they happily obey him. But it's on the basis of love. A disciple soon learns every step of obedience leads to blessing. Jesus is never going to ask you to do something, change something, alter something that's going to hurt you, that's going to lead you into the curse, that's going to lead you away from blessing. If you will obey him, even though it seems to be a hard choice sometimes, if you will trust and obey, you will be blessed. Now that's the promise that was given to Abraham way back in Genesis. In Genesis 22, God asked um, Abraham to do something quite scary and pretty much sacrifice his son to him. And Abraham was willing to go through it. He so trusted God. So God stops him and says, that's okay, test over. I, I realize you love me, you'd obey me. And he basically prophesied to him that through his offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And it says in verse 18, because you've obeyed me. The blessing comes through obedience. And the obedience is rooted in love. And that's the heart of discipleship, which is the long game of following Jesus. You know, I don't know what the last step of obedience you took was as a disciple who's actively following Jesus. But I do know this. It blessed you. It blessed you. So took it away. Remember. And the next time the challenge comes from Jesus to, how about adjusting here? How about adding to your faith some self-control? Oh, that's what our scripture said. Okay. So you've got the seeds of this new life. And as you're following Jesus, he then encourages you, uh, let's have some self-control here, Steve. Self-control. Control those thoughts, please. Control that tongue. Control that attitude. So you add to your faith self-control, which is one of the words in our scripture. Add some perseverance. Add some goodness. Let me finish. How long are you going to follow Jesus for? Another week or two? You know, jury's out. You know, how long do you intend to follow Jesus? Now, it's a stupid question, but sometimes we are that way inclined. The truth is, we signed up to this for life. But what we didn't sign up for was just a blessed salvation experience, a significant moment, and then putting our life on hold. Because that leads to an unfruitful, frustrating Christian life. All the joy, all the blessing is in the long game. Active steps of following Jesus for the rest of our lives. And taking those steps will find me making every effort to add to my faith goodness, to that goodness some knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to that some perseverance and godliness, mutual affection and love. Because I'm confident that as I possess those qualities in increasing measure, they will keep me from being ineffective and unproductive in my knowledge of him. So this week, let's actively follow Jesus. Actively be with him, watch him, talk to him, listen to him, move at his pace and obey what he teaches you. And you'll have a blessed life. Amen. Let's just stand together and the band can join me. I just want to pray with you before 
Paul comes back. So I'm mindful that it would be dead easy for me to project guilt on you and say, I'm sure you've not been following Jesus as, you know, as much as you should have. And I could say that of myself. But we're not about projecting guilt. We're on about equipping one another to be disciples of Jesus for the rest of our life. But every now and again, it's good for us just to pause and acknowledge our gratitude for being saved, which we've done through the communion. That was a wonderful moment. And then to recognize, Jesus, if I'm honest, sometimes I do take my eyes off you. Lord Jesus, sometimes I do talk too much and I don't listen to you. God, sometimes I'm not sure the way you're asking me to move is the right way, so I, I resist you a bit. Forgive me, Lord. Just settle those things. And let's be a company of people today who together say, we are going to follow Jesus with all our heart. Just close your eyes and lift your hands to heaven. Heavenly Father, please look down upon us, your kids, today and see a grateful people who love you so much for sending Jesus to save us. Lord, in return for that wonderful salvation, we reaffirm to you today that we are going to follow you for the rest of our lives. We're not going to take our eye off you because you're the life giver. <laughs> you make life worth living. You're going to usher us into glory one day and it'll all make complete sense then. But Lord, until then, we are sticking with you, Jesus. There's no other Messiah, no other mentor or rabbi. There's no other guru like you. Lord, you're transformational. So Lord, we commit to staying close to you, to watching you and listening and talking to you so that we can be the people you've called us to be in our lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen.